Hello and welcome to the October 2018 edition of Organising to Win, the trade union podcast from Unison Northwest. In this episode, I'll be speaking to the founder of campaign group We Own It, Kat Hobbs, about the case for public ownership and their upcoming campaign to make Greater Manchester's buses fairer and better for passengers through reforms to the franchise system. And we'll be hearing from Unison members at Bolton IFM who work at Bolton Hospital who've just won an incredible victory to win NHS Agenda for Change conditions after a campaign of industrial action. First though, Unison members in Knowsley and Merseyside working in social care face a threat to adult care services what the council calls adult provider services, when Knowsley Council introduced proposals to outsource social care services to an arm's-length management organisation called New Directions in November 2017. If implemented, this would mean that social care staff no longer work directly for the council and staff employed in the future could be paid on lesser terms and conditions than those who are already in post. Well, since then, Unison's been campaigning hard to stop the backdoor privatisation of our social care services in Knowsley, culminating into a tremendous change of heart on the part of the council in June this year when they decided to drop the plans and keep services public. I spoke to Unison Knowsley branches Paula Carlisle and James Robinson and asked how it all began. OK, so it wasn't after long I'd been elected, actually, as the Deputy Branch Secretary that I was called to the first uh, major meeting I had with adult social care. And I was brought in and they immediately said to me, we're looking at adult provider services, and that includes older people's day services, respite, disability services, shared lives, etc. Over 200 staff. They said, we've had a consultant in. We paid £30,000, a consultancy didn't consult, by the way, and they've decided the best way forward for this service was a wholly owned subsidiary, one that was already set up in Sefton, called New Directions. So that was the first I'd heard about it. So um, what kind of groups of staff would this cover? So, so that's, that's, that's the groups of staff. So it's, it's adult social care, uh, so social care workers, uh, residential workers and um, social care worker drivers as well. And what would have been the effects for those staff, what would have been the risk for those staff had that gone ahead and had they outsourced to a wholly owned subsidiary? Well, if you listen to what they were saying, they were very much, oh, this, there won't be any change. However, we very quickly found out that behind that they were looking to introduce new staff at this company went ahead who wouldn't be on local government's pension, they wouldn't be on Greenbeak terms and conditions, and also we found out that they wouldn't even be on the same pay as our current staff in Nosley Council. So it would be a massive um, deterioration in terms of conditions for any new starters who were coming on board after that was set up. So how did you, the branch in Nosley, how did you respond to that? Well... First of all, I, I, I made the decision to call mass meetings and it was with the joint trade unions and I put together a programme of action and there was four points to that. One was via negotiation, second, political campaigning, thirdly, public campaigning and finally, an industrial strategy as well if, if all else failed. 
Okay. And what was the reception at the mass meetings? Were you there, Paula, at that stage? Yes, um, I, I was there at all of the meetings that we had with staff um, and, you know, we really had to get the message across to them that we could actually fight this um, because at first they, they didn't think that they could. They just thought this was a done deal mm-hmm. with all of the cuts to local government. They thought the council had no option because this is what they were being told. Um, and we really had to get that message out. Um, and James brought me on board in order to make sure that we did that. And one of the things um, that we used was a spreadsheet of all of our members. And, you know, it it was um, a very split up, fragmented workforce. Um, You know, Nosley is a slither of um, a location um, from one end to the other. And there was about 10 work locations, um, all working different times and things. So it was quite difficult to get around. Um, but the spreadsheet helped us to make sure that all of our communications were targeted. Um, so we knew who we'd spoken to and when we'd spoken to them. We knew if they'd turned up to meetings or if they hadn't. Um, so that when we got to the stage of balloting members, we knew who had heard the message and who was still yet to hear it. And, you know, ultimately we could even do ring arounds and telephone people if it was difficult to contact them. And on that spreadsheet, if you like, I just used a simple traffic light system. So, you know, it was red if we hadn't had any contact, amber if we had, but they hadn't voted yet, um, and green if they'd had contact and we knew that they'd voted. And this is voting in the industrial action ballot? Yes. Um, because the council were intent on pressing ahead they weren't going to listen to the concerns that you'd raised so how so that's i suppose a really systematic um engaged approach just one-to-one communication with with workers and you were able to transform that um initial um apathy and and, and pessimism i suppose amongst the workforce thinking that they weren't going to be able to influence this decision what was what was the the outcome of that vote Um, Well, we had a turnout of 63% and that was 97% voted for industrial action. Okay, which is phenomenal, a phenomenal achievement. And what happened next? Well, it was it was pretty. It happened quite quickly after that. After that, so we had, as I said, we had this program of action. So the the industrial ballot went ahead. We had that fantastic outcome, but also coinciding with that, we'd called the public meeting of all the carers and anybody who wanted to attend that meeting who lived in the Nosley area. That was publicised on Radio Merseyside that morning, and it, we we had a mass meeting that evening with with, with everybody that this would affect if this went ahead. Uh, And I got home that evening and I received a phone call to explain to me that the leader of the council had been ousted in Nosley and would be replaced and that I needed to not press any further buttons on my action in regards to new directions because, in their words, the council will be taking a new direction. Phenomenal, phenomenal. So... You've got that industrial pressure on the one side with your members organised, um, brilliant turnout with a strong mandate for strike action, were they to go ahead? You've got the media campaign with the public. Was there any other kind of route of campaigning that you that you pursued and influencing in terms of the council themselves? or? Yeah, I think um, the public campaign was, was paramount um, and one of the things that we did was arrange the public meeting, like James said, um, but there was also um, a group 
a Facebook group that was set up um, by the um, carers so you know the service users if you like um, and there was a public outcry about their service being outsourced and you know potentially um, you know the decrease in quality of the service being provided and in, in addition to that as well we did have mass lobbies of council meetings labour group meetings mm. throughout this campaign so they very much knew uh, you, you know the issues that our members had faced on this and were you able to identify then which labour councillors were supportive of your uh, your plan for the future of adult social care well it was quite, quite interesting because throughout that campaign there were you could see there was certain Labour councillors who were becoming more unsure by the day yeah. of whether this was the right decision. But I must say that while what they were saying to me outside the meetings wasn't translating into the votes, right. which is why we ended up at the industrial action ballot. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you uh, if you were you know speaking to another branch who had a similar situation, because we've seen these housing-owned subsidiaries popping up. Um, although hopefully we've got a bit of a moratorium on them, particularly in the NHS for the moment, but you know they're popping up all over the place. We had a victory in Wigan, victory in Knowsley. What would you say to a branch that's faced with that challenge in terms of tips for dealing with it? Um, I think the key is to be organised, mm. but be methodical about it so that you're not wasting your time. Um, so know who you've spoken to and when you've spoken to. Um, um, as I say, just be methodical about it and keep a record. And what I would also say is as well that this wasn't an easy thing to do. Um, from day one, you know, there was doubts throughout uh, the membership. At first, didn't realise those concerns. So... It's important, you, you know, to keep the focus and while you may have some members or others in the movement as well who may want to say, well, you know, we may not win this campaign, is that if you, if you keep a consistent message and you, you, you provide a clear message to the workforce, then they will support the action and... You know, through through all the threats that we had around redundancies, you know, this service will collapse if it didn't go ahead. Well, it didn't come to fruition. We've kept the service in house, so it can be done. And the trade union threshold as well. You know, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be seen as a barrier. We, we, we've smashed it in what was probably one of the most difficult workforces to do. It's fragmented. It's a twenty four seven workforce, and we got. Um, uh, as Paul has said, over sixty percent turnout. Mm. So this we can do it there. We can do, we can do it anywhere, really. That was Paula Carlisle and James Robinson from Unison's Nosley branch. The question of uh, privatisation and the ownership of public services has been rising ever higher on the political agenda, with a strong commitment from the Labour Party at their 2018 conference to the insourcing of water, rail and aspects of energy, and successful industrial action in Wigan and other parts of the country to prevent further outsourcing of our National Health Service. We Own It is an organisation which has campaigned since 2013 to end privatisation for good and ensure people are placed before private profit. I spoke to their founder, Kat Hobbs, about why public ownership was so important in ensuring quality and value for money in public services. So we've had 30 plus years of privatisation now and I think it's becoming 
even clearer that this is an ideology that doesn't work for us, um, it doesn't work for the public, doesn't work for workers. Um, and what we see when our services get privatised, whether that's water, energy, railways, buses, NHS, care services, prisons and probation, what we see is that we pay more as the public or as bill payers. We get a worse service and we see we sometimes see real scandals um, from some of these private companies like G4S, Serco, Capita, um, and we just lose accountability. So we don't have any real say over our public services that we pay for, we use, um, we work for and we rely on. And is the public behind public ownership as a, as a model? The public is hugely behind public ownership. So public ownership has always been popular, actually, even when um, Thatcher was privatising our services, people didn't really believe in it. Um, and what we've seen in recent polling is that public ownership is even more popular than before. So 83% uh, of us want public ownership of water. 77% uh, of us want public ownership of energy and it's 76% for rail and obviously everybody wants the NHS to be publicly owned etc uh, etc et so I think the public knows really that the whole idea of privatisation hasn't worked and it hasn't delivered and they've seen that again and again and we want to have public services that really belong to us. And you mentioned there uh, water, energy and rail. And those are three areas where Labour at the moment are looking in terms of their own programme at um, some form of public ownership or public intervention into those markets at the very least. So what's that journey been and, and how's We Own It been involved in that discussion? So We Own It started back in 2013. I started thinking about this in 2012 and it was very quiet then. You had some unions calling for public ownership um, but it felt like a really difficult thing to have a conversation about. Um, although it was great to have Kevin Nelson's support back then um, as, we, as we got going. But I think what we've seen with Corbyn and McDonnell is a complete change in the conversation. So um, the Labour manifesto last year put public ownership on the table, public ownership of energy, water, rail and Royal Mail. It opened up a whole conversation in the media. So we've been doing interviews about public ownership of water, which just wasn't being talked about at all. And now that that's on the agenda, people are, I think people are really excited about it, but also, you know, the vested interests who would lose out if we go to public ownership are getting really quite scared and, and worried about the whole thing. And they're trying to push back and they're trying to say, oh, we can't have public ownership, it's not possible, it won't work. We don't want to go back to the 70s. But we think, you know, this isn't about going backwards, it's about the future. And we've seen really clearly that privatisation has failed, um, that people want something better, and public ownership can deliver that. So it's fantastic that Labour's actually gone for a policy that people really want that would make our lives better. What is it about the rail um, system and the water system, for example, under private ownership that doesn't work so profoundly? What What, what is it that's wrong with them? So I think there's a number of things. First and foremost, shareholders have to be the priority. So these are private companies whose first obligation is to return a profit to their shareholders, not to provide a great service for us. And um, that means all of their um, all of their incentives are skewed, basically. So you know, of course they want to make as much money from us as possible. Of course they want to put up our bills, and of course they want to you know cut staff and provide a worse service because that helps to return as much profit as possible and they're doing it that in a situation where there's often effectively a natural monopoly i.e 
there's not really competition. So they've essentially got a free reign to rip us off um, and not provide the kind of services that we need. Have think, we seen practical examples of that in terms of cutting services, cutting staff? Yeah, so, um, I mean, across across the board, really. So on our railway, we don't have the kind of capacity that we need. We pay ridiculous fares, as you'll know if you've taken a train recently, um, in terms of water, we're paying much more than we should be, but we're also seeing our rivers get polluted and we're seeing water being wasted. You know, these really basic things where actually we need, you know, we need a great basic service and they can't provide it because, you know, we the public are not their priority. I think the other thing is there can be a lot of fragmentation in privatisation. So, you know, for example, in the railway, you've got lots of different players getting involved and they're all taking their cut at every stage. So, you know, for example, you've got the rolling stock companies who provide the trains um, and they just, all they do is their middlemen leasing out the trains to the train companies. They take a profit of 200 million a year. So that's, you know, a more fragmented service where we're losing profit that could be reinvested back into improving the service for all of us. What role do you think trade unions can play in helping to build a case for public ownership and defend public ownership where we have it? Well, I think, I mean, we've heard today a really exciting, inspiring story from Knowsley Branch. Um, is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was a great newsletter, you know. You know, I was like, wow, got it. Um, so we heard a really inspiring story today from Knowsley Branch about pushing back and the way that Unison um, pushed back the privatisation of, of social care, which was just incredible. And I think that shows the power of organising. And I think unions are in a really good position to do that because, mostly because you are organised. So I'm trying to organise the public as we own it, but you, you guys are already organised as unions. So you're in a great starting position where you know that you have structures that you can use to actually hold councils to account, get your members together, you know, push back when privatisation and outsourcing are imposed. And you've, you've got, you know, you've got the structures, you've got the culture, um, you've got the, the, the ways of organising that means that you can actually achieve some real victories. And that's a great opportunity. I think there's something really great about organising in a place. So my experience of organising as a train passenger was very much, you know, on the trains in Bristol when I started campaigning. And, you know, when you can get people together in a room or on a train to say, what can we do here? That's really incredibly powerful. And talking about organising in a place, you are, I understand, we are looking ahead to the future, a potential campaign in Greater Manchester for public, um, well, not necessarily wholly public bus ownership, but uh, a franchise system, a campaign for a franchise system akin to London's that would uh, help you know, regulate services and improve services. Can you tell us a bit about that and why is that necessary? Yeah, so if you live in the Greater Manchester area, you'll know well that the buses really aren't that great. Um, yeah. <laughs> we sadly can't have public ownership of buses um, because our government, in its wisdom, has decided to ban the creation of new publicly owned bus companies. Even though we've got a number across the country so far, we're not allowed to create any new ones. But what we do have is a real opportunity because... Um, Andy Burnham, the mayor, um, has talked about regulating Manchester's buses um, to improve them and really make the network much, much better and provide, um, you know, lower fares, integrated ticketing, more routes, etc. 
but we need to make sure that he goes ahead because right now um, Stagecoach and First and some of the other private bus companies around Greater Manchester really don't want to see regulation. Um, they don't want to be impeded in any way. They are making huge profits. Um, so they're making much higher profits than the bus companies in, in London. So what we want to see is actually why shouldn't Manchester's buses be as good as the buses in London? Why shouldn't the mayor be able to regulate the buses to improve the network? Um, we want to get passengers involved and get unions involved in a campaign to make sure that regulation goes ahead so we can make Manchester's buses much better. So you're saying bigger profits for bus companies in Greater Manchester at the moment than London, but worse services. How can we tackle that? What, 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 what will you be doing over the next few months to, to help build a campaign to, 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 to make things better? Well, so we've got uh, a new campaigner who has just, uh, who's just getting to work right now in Manchester and she's um, exploring the region and getting to know people on the ground there and basically trying to engage as many people as possible. So she's talking to all the unions, she's talking to, um, you know, lots of different community groups, environmental groups, businesses, everybody who wants Greater Manchester's buses to be much better than they are right now. And that's a huge, um, a huge army of people potentially. So she'll be she'll be working on that campaign and um, look out for her on the buses. That was Kat Hobbs, founder of We Own It. That's almost all we've got time for for this month. But if you're interested in further information and resources concerning the topics discussed in this programme, as well as access to previous episodes of the podcast, head over to our website at www.unisonnw.org forward slash podcast where you'll find them. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform as well by searching for Organising to Win and hitting subscribe. Next month, we'll be back with another episode examining an alternative assessment of the TUC's 150-year history from industrial relations academic Professor Ralph Darlington, as well as an interview with former organising director of the American SEIU Union, uh, one of the architects of the Fight for 15 campaign and, uh, and digital campaigning expert CJ Grimes. To finish off, though, workers in Bolton IFM have won a huge victory this month to secure NHS Agenda for Change terms and conditions for the vital work that they do. Uh, at Bolton Hospital in catering, domestics, portering and maintenance. To end uh, this, this programme, here's the moment that Unison's organiser Tim Ellis told staff that they'd won their campaign for fair pay, as well as some voices from staff on the picket line stressing why their demand for fair treatment has been so important to them. Thanks for listening. Um, so they met and they came up with an offer. And we said to them, we wouldn't accept that offer unless... Well, it's, it's for you to decide. That's the principle. You are the union. We are the union. So it's the union members to decide. So there is an offer which we'll put to you and see whether you want to accept it or not. Okay? And people can ask some questions about it as well. Right. Okay. At the beginning of uh, it, you're on 783. Uh, and we didn't know where that would go. And they have offered £8... They say 95, I think it's 93, but £8.93 from the 1st of April 2018. That's for the gender change. Okay. And, they, and that means there's a back date which will be paid, they say, in November, if you're full-time, of about £1,000. If you're doing on social work, I work at this place, a bit more. So it's £8.93 for the gender change. Then from the 1st of April 2019, it will go up to £9.05. 
which is for agenda for change. Um, what the actual report is there. Then from the 1st of April 2020, it will go up to £9.23, full agenda for change. And then, and this was the bit, when the negotiations were being negotiated, which we introduced at one point, uh, this was, we thought they tried to fiddle this bit. They have had to accept that all other NHS staff who are on band one, like this, will go up into band two come December, there's no change in money. But two years after that, they go to the top of band two. The top of band two is £9.89. I think again they've got it wrong. They've divided by the wrong figure, but they basically said you will get the top of band two from the 1st of December 2020. That is the whole kit and caboodle. That is full NHS pay for IFM staff. And that's the fun I'm Karen Monks. Yep. Uh, and I work on Theatres ICU and daycare at the Bolton Rail Hospital. Uh, I'm on strike today because it's furnace of pay. Um, we want the same money as everybody else in this country around different money than what we are. We're on the lowest paid and we should be on the same pay as everyone else. I'm Andrea Lee. Yep. Where do you work? Um, I'm a domestic at Royal Bolton Hospital. Right, you. Okay, Andrea, why are you on strike today? Because we're working for minimum pay and we work so hard, we deserve a lot more. All we're asking for is agenda and change so we don't have to keep fighting every year and more money. Yep. I'm at Royal Bolton Hospital and my job is a domestic. Mm -hmm. I've been here for 20 years. Yeah. And I'm here today on strike because we have been poorly treated and we've been on minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And we are fighting for agenda for change to make equality and fairness to everyone.